welcome back to the Contextual Insertion Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Smith. Today, for the Daily Dispatch, we're going to jump right into this. We're going to talk about, guess what? Ta-da! The Kyle Rittenhouse trial, which, well, it is now November the 15th, the night of the 14th on Sunday. Um, and they just finished up pretty much last week. They're going to do the closing arguments today in his trial and turn it over to the jury for deliberations. And hopefully, you know, he will be found not guilty. It was pretty crazy trial. Um, you know, it was... I, I tuned in the day that Binger had um, what Ryan Balsh, I think, the guy, um, one of the armed fellows that was down there, the, the Army veteran... I tuned in that day and to just give a, you know, ins- I mean, I'm sure if, you, if you're listening to this podcast, you've been following the trial. But, you know, just to for me to reiterate how wild this thing was, I tuned in the day Binger is doing his direct examination of, of Balsh, and I swear to God, you know, um, I thought that was the defense on cross-examination for like 10 minutes. Um I didn't know what the defense attorneys looked like before I actually tuned in on the YouTube feed. Because it was like, you know, he's talking to Bosch, and he's like, hey, can you tell me what a piece of shit Rosenbaum was? How many times did he threaten to kill you? Wow, that's a lot. You said he set all this shit on fire, too? Wow, cool. That's crazy. Can you tell me how many other horrible things this guy did? And then after, I'm like, holy fuck. And then like after about 10 minutes, I'm like, wait, wait a minute. That's the prosecutor? <laughs> anyway, that that's... um. It was some crazy shit, you know. Um, and basically, the whole week was like that. Um, you know, I'm I'm not gonna reiterate. We're not gonna go over all of this again. You saw it. I saw it. I'm not a lawyer. There's tons of of legal testimony, um, or legal discussion about what happened. Um, you know, I did listen to Kyle's testimony. I'm gonna talk about this a little bit. Yeah, I really, oh, fuck. You know, I knew I was gonna get emotional by it, and I was shocked how how it just really wrecked me and this kid 17 and this stuff he was going through and that you couldn't see the trauma in his face and his mannerisms but despite all that this kid had so much courage you know um like he sat up there for five hours basically going toe-to-toe with binger and yeah you know um props to that kid you know um i i kind of had I mean, I haven't killed anyone. I haven't been anything quite as traumatic as him. But I've been in out in the streets dealing with a lot of this stuff. Um, similar stuff in the sense of going out in the middle of civil unrest and riots and going undercover in Antifa. So I've been in some crazy shit in the streets. And, and I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, a lot of that stuff I don't really talk about a lot. But it's very difficult to go through that type of stress and not have some sort of a reaction to it. Like, even for me, um, I was getting a little bit of flashbacks to some of the crazier stuff I've done. Like, when you've been mobbed by 100 people, and they're screaming in your face, and you you literally think you're going to die, or they're going to flip out and beat you to death. Like, yeah, I, I've been in situations where I thought, you know what, well, I'm probably about to die right now, they're going to kill me. Um, I've had people, you know, pull a knife out, and, like, flip it out, and just give me this cold stare... I'm in a mob, and I'm like, well, I'm going to get stitched up by this shit, and, you know, it's, 
you know, there's only so much you can do, you know, when you're surrounded by several hundred people. But anyway, I've been I've been in all that stuff and that stuff, even that, you know, getting out. Obviously, I haven't been killed because I'm here. But that sort of stuff takes a toll. I mean, there's times a lot of that stuff I go to and I'll go home when I'm when I'm done or, you know, whatever it's over with. And I will crawl in the bed for like 48 hours and just turn the lights off, cuddle with my dog curl up in the bed for 48 hours don't talk to anyone maybe eat some sandwiches or something get out get out of bed the second day eat a little bit and go back to bed just trying to process and get through all that stuff but yeah you know listening to his testimony really kind of wrecked me pretty hard um god that kid you know I have so much i hope even if he gets not guilty on all this stuff he's got a hell of a road ahead of him so anyway, props to him, mad respect for this kid. I'm going to be praying for him. Um, anyway, not going to break down the trial, not a lawyer. I'm sure you've been listening to like Ricotta Law, which is a pretty good, you know, and then Andrew Branca has good takes on that stuff too. He's been writing about it. Um, so yeah, if you're a regular listener to this podcast and if you're someone who heard this podcast from someone who's a regular listener or got it you know passed around i'm fairly sure that you agree with me that this was a textbook self-defense shooting um so we're, we're not even really gonna break that stuff down either i mean a lot of that stuff but if we leave out the wisdom of whether or not he needed to be there in the first place which i'm going to talk about a little bit further on um I think we do agree. It was it was pretty crazy textbook legal self defense shooting. You know the the wisdom of him being downtown in the middle of that. That's a different discussion. Um, we'll talk about some of my thoughts on that because I do have some some thoughts and my mind has changed a lot about firearms self defense related stuff. Some of the like Farnham's law and everything don't go stupid places with stupid people and do stupid things. Well. I don't know if, <laughs> if you're anywhere familiar with my story. I mean, that's basically what I've been doing for the last five years. Anyway, um, I want to talk more about the tactics that's going on here. One of the things that I've talked a lot about with the right is even when there's an understanding of the tactics, there's a big disconnect. And people don't think about how tactics feed into the strategy and you know how strategy, what your goal, strategic goal, and strategic objective, kind of delineates how you do, um, what sort of tactics you use, and and how you know how you reach your goals. Um, you know, it's like when we had that uh, unmasking Antifa book. Um, I had a quote in there from an anarchist. You know, he was uh, spirit strategy and tactics for revolutionary anarchism, and this quote was basically, you know, tactics. Or the choices we make to reach a position of intermediate advantage that move us closer to a strategic objective. So that's the thing, you know. And I've talked about this before, and like in my uh, Be Ready magazine articles, I've talked about, you know, the SMART principle, which is something lefties do. Um, when they're like, hey, you know, what are our strategic objectives? How do we select our tactics and our intermediate objectives? Those are very important things, and, and there's a big disconnect on the right of, like, it's all about, like, let's win the immediate battle, but then there's really a thought about the further down the road, more strategic thing. There's two tactics in particular here that I want to talk about. Um, 
you know, one of them is operant conditioning. That's something you've probably heard me talk about before. It's, you know, basically a conditioning where, you know, you have a stimuli and you apply it to a person in, in, in a context of a choice. And it's about making a person, you know, change their behavior or a person or an animal. It's something to do with animals, too. Um, operant conditioning, basically, like, if you make something very unpleasant for someone or something, and, you know, when you've got, okay, if I grab, if I do choice A, I get a treat. If I do choice B, I get an electric shock while people start choosing A. Well, that's operant conditioning is something that the left does to people, but it really depends effectively, like, to be really effective um, on a full-spectrum type of isolation. And that's really the thing they have to do first. So, if you may remember, Kyle was immediately isolated, deplatformed, and marginalized after the shooting. Um, this is something that we have seen a lot with anyone that's really effective. Um, another example is like Milo. This happened to Milo. You know, it happened to the Proud Boys. It happened to Trump. Those are all examples of that. Um, Facebook banned any expression or, or support for Kyle. Um, even saying like, hey, I don't I think this was probably self-defense. Even that was like you know, people were doing 30-day bans. I know people that lost their accounts for that, you know, just trying to defend him. Uh, and that's the same thing that happened with the Proud Boys in like 20, 2018. The whole thing was um basically anarchists were attacking people all through 2017 and 2018. And the Proud Boys were getting a bunch of people that were joining up just to defend people. Just to keep the anarchists from and Antifa from attacking people that were trying to you know, engage in political expression. Well, you know, they got banned from Twitter and they got sued and then Facebook banned them. And now you can't even say anything good on Facebook about the Proud Boys. So that's the sort of thing they're doing. It's like, you know, and this is the same thing they did to Kyle. This, this is the same playbook they're running the thing is they're absolutely terrified of any effective resistance any effective opposition they're terrified of that and as soon as they sense anyone like that whether it's the proud boys or whether it's like kyle rittenhouse they're gonna crush them you know if it's someone that they can identify and isolate and they'll go after them and they'll crush them um you know, cut off communications and financial support, then attack people civilly and criminally while only allowing negative talking points about this person to propagate. You can go on Facebook and shit talk Kyle Rittenhouse and the Proud Boys all you want, but, you know, it's very, you can't really make any big positive statements that catch any notice because you'll catch a ban for that. So, you know, and this also goes into it too. You know, one thing that happened with Kyle, not only all that stuff happened, but you know, people were getting deplatformed if they try to raise funds for them. And then, you know, they had the gives and go that finally were, were raising money and they got hacked. And then, you know, they got hacked and their donor list got released <clears throat> and people started getting fired. And that's another thing of it. You know, you can cut someone off, you can, and it's, it's all about layers and adapting. <clears throat> you know, you cut someone off communications, you isolate, deplatform them, marginalize them, cut them off financially, and then anyone that tries to help them, they attack them too. Um, you know, 
some people were donating like 25 bucks and people were getting fired for that you know they would they pull up their information like these hackers like these are people that were committing federal computer crimes and releasing that information to the media and the media were getting these people fired for for donating to Kyle um so yeah all that stuff and then you know this is all about crushing people they need to isolate people and they want to crush them as an example um you know and that leads into the operant conditioning. You're like, holy shit, I don't want to wind up like the Proud Boys. I don't want to wind up like Kyle because, you know, I'll get totally cut off from everyone. No one will be able to help me because these people will attack anyone who tries to help me. So it's a multi-layered thing. <clears throat> so, yeah, you know, when you isolate someone, you make them vulnerable. You know, you, the person is vulnerable and they put them through ab absolute hell. And that's where the operant conditioning part comes in. And that is, you know, people are like, wow, you know, what if I go downtown? What if I donate money to someone and they get hacked? And then, you know, I get doxxed and fired because I donated to someone who got canceled. So people are really afraid of that part. So people are basically afraid to stand up because, you know, that's what the operant conditioning works. That's what I've described before there. And that's what happened to Kyle. That's what happened to the Proud Boys. That's what happened to Trump. Um, and that makes people afraid to stand up. But that, you know, that part works so effectively because, you know, and the isolation, the full spectrum isolation works. Those two things work so well because, honestly, and this is where I'm going to get a little controversial, there's a, there's a fetishization of individualism on the right or actually what people call individualism but it's not um, what most people talk about individualism on the right is atomization and it's isolation and it's not healthy um, when someone talks about for me you know when they talk about individualism and, and, and we're individualists and that's why we don't work well together and that's why um, you know I don't like collaborating with people. That's bullshit. And more importantly to me, when someone talks a lot about that, they're basically betraying the, the fact that they've never really done anything incredibly dangerous as a, for a living in their life. Because I'll tell you right now, you know, I've done some very, I've had, you know, ship captain stuff. Like I've towed drilling rigs and in tropical storms and, and I've been in some shitty situations. And I know lots of other people that have, you know, talk to anyone else, too, that's talking to people that have been in the military or, like, special forces stuff. You know, they don't talk about individualism. I'll tell you right now, all the times, like, I've been on ships that were sinking. Um, I've been in ships that were on fire. And at no point did I ever think, wow, I'm glad no one is here to help me. Um, if you've ever done something for a living really dangerous, you want teamwork. You want people backing you up. Um the times that I've been in rough situations and I didn't have anyone there to help me, I was thinking to myself, fuck, I wish I had people I trusted here with me. And the times I were in those situations and I did have people like that with me, I was thinking, fuck, I'm really glad I got people I trust here with me. Human beings are social creatures. We're tribal creatures. That's why we're going to the fucking stars. And that's why, you know, that's why we landed on the moon. That's why, you know, we have been so effective um, as creatures on this planet is because we not only because we're tool users and we're very smart but we are tribal social creatures teamwork is a human instinct okay 
Um, people, you have to sleep sometimes. Someone's got to watch your back. You know, we've seen this so many times. Um, and that's the thing that people have to acknowledge and accept. Because we're seeing this, these tactics that I've described work so effectively because people are basically all fucked off and like no one's really, there's no uh, community network. And you know, this this is a different topic we're not really going to get into right now. I've kind of touched on it before. Um, like Robert Putnam, his Bowling Alone book where he kind of talked about the decay of social institutions in America over like the last 50 something years for lots of different reasons. Um, like, you know, there's people don't join like VFW anymore. There's no like Kiwanis Club or, or Knights of Columbus. People don't really do that to the same extent they used to. There's no like people don't really go to bowling leagues as much. Um, and there's just a ton of different reasons. But the thing is like, we have to start working on this stuff, and that's one of the articles that I wrote for Be Ready. One of my articles was about trying to build local networks. Honestly, I'm I'm really introverted, so uh, it would be a lot easier if I was massively extroverted, but I'm not. But I'm trying. You know, I'm trying. Um, I know other people that are trying or building these things, and it takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. Anyway, teamwork. We need teamwork. People have to work together. Um stop fetishizing um this atomization that and and isolation that we call individualism because it's not healthy it doesn't work it's you know it's you can respect individual rights and you know individual autonomy but not you know be a fucking autistic isolated spurg with no friends no one to call no one to help you that's what we have to get. You know, you have to have these networks. And again, people are building social social media networks. I know people networking locally, offline. That stuff's happening, okay? I, I see where people are sensing that as well. And I've been advocating for it, and people are doing that. It's starting to happen. But that's why that stuff works, okay? So let me talk about something else here that's a little bit more controversial. Um... So I've, I'm involved with the gun community and have been lots of training and, and um, so you know there, there's stuff about self-defense that we talk about and we take for granted and it has always been um, the you know the the, the op, you know the best operating conditions people talk about doing, which is you know farms rule like don't go somewhere dumb, don't do dumb things, don't hang out with dumb people. Um, you know, the one of the big criticisms of Kyle was like he went downtown with a rifle, and yeah, you know that that's on one level that is true. I mean, I he probably wishes now that he hadn't have done that. Uh, you know, I'm kind of angry at myself, and I'm angry at a lot of other people because I feel like I felt him. For me, it's like, we have had, you know, Kyle was there, that's an indictment of all of us. A 17-year-old kid felt the desire to go downtown because no one else was doing anything else um, to stop this. You know, the state and the government and local state governments, um, almost a, a whole list of adults 
failed him. They failed the community. And the whole advice for don't get involved, walk away, leave the stuff alone was kind of bit. There's a lot of unspoken assumptions that we don't really unpack, which is like kind of the idea of like, hey, you know, the uh, there's at least there's some state capacity enough to handle this. Let them handle that. And and from for an isolated individual without any context, that's good advice. But the problem with a lot of really good advice for individuals is when we scale that advice up, it doesn't work so well. Um, for for one individual without any without thinking, you know, system systematically or you know systemically, but the bigger picture, it's incredibly logical and rational to leave it all alone. But then when you scale it up where no one does anything, then there's no one to step in and fix the problems when it goes wrong. Um, the Korean shopkeepers, you know, that's a good example. It's like the cops, there weren't enough cops to handle that in the LA riots, you know, there weren't enough cops to do anything. So they showed up and got on the root on their roofs with rifles, um, and, and saved a lot of their businesses. Um, and that's really w- where it happens. You know, we, we saw last year and this is the thing about last year. Um, and this tells us a lot about the people we're facing too. Everything that happened last year, you know, they were deliberately interfering with the the local and state governments where the stuff was happening. Were a lot of times like on conference calls and actually collaborating with a lot of the rioters and their representatives to burn shit down. Um, they were giving them space to destroy. It's it's absolutely hundred percent true that these rioters were effectively a de facto street army. And it was an attack. Like everything, all of the unrest last year, the rioting, the most destructive riots in American history, were um, an attack on Main Street America. Um, these people, they're pissed because folks voted for Trump. You know, there's the the flyover proles are not happy with the way they've been running things, and that was the way they wanted to punish us. So, yeah, you know, they did all this, and this kid, no one else stood up, and this kid went down there and tried to help the best he could. He didn't know what he was doing. Um, he didn't have a whole lot. I mean, he, he was very lucky. I mean, obviously he knew what he did. He had a, you know, he definitely, you know, was very good running his rifle, apparently. But, you know, he had the impulse to go down there and try to make a difference, cleaning up graffiti, um, trying to put out fires, and then he he you know, wasted a pedo, and then like a, another guy with some uh, assault convictions, and some other dude with a with a rap sheet. It's it's yeah. You know this is something much bigger than just Kyle at this point. These people are trying to destroy Kyle, not just because of what he symbolizes, but you know this is the thing we saw with Nicholas Sandman. They want to destroy them at a visceral level. You know, Nicholas Sandman and Kyle Rittenhouse, these young, wholesome white boys, that's what they want. These people hate that demographic. This is, these these urban shit-led people have a burning hatred for healthy, wholesome people, okay? That if you go online anywhere and you see the vitriol directed at Kyle Rittenhouse, most of that stuff is because... 
these fucking people, these, you know, I mean, I'm probably a degenerate too, but these people that are, you know, rejects, these danger hairs and these nasty, defective people with a long list of mental illnesses, um, they have a visceral hatred for that. Wholesome, good people. You know, the good, the beautiful, and the true. They have a, <clears throat> a huge hatred for that. But um, the thing is, <clears throat> I feel I feel guilty. Because, you know, the thing is, looking at what happened to Kyle... <clears throat> excuse me. The thing that happened with Kyle... I feel like I should have been there. And that's the fucked up thing. It's like, so many things have happened in the past. Self-defense situations that went awry. And the person, maybe they were prosecuted for political reasons or something. My... my my um, reaction in the past was always something like, you know, I wouldn't have done that. Or I'm glad I wasn't there. Now I'm watching this kid get run through the ringer. And um, I I don't know what's going to come out with his jury. I, it, you know, the, the case has collapsed, but there's always a chance of conviction. If I could change places with him right now, I would. Because um, I am older and I've been through a lot. If I could have been there, maybe I could have handled it a little bit differently. But even now, knowing everything that's happened, I would still change places with him because <clears throat> part of being an adult, I think, at this point is learning to accept responsibility for these sorts of things. And, we, you know, we have to step up and protect these people, these kids. That, you know, because the reality is we we failed Kyle because we weren't there the, there's a long list of adults that did not take care of business that did not step up and it left this 17 year old young man in a position where he felt like he needed to do something i mean the reality is you know i the older i get the more i see the more i start to realize just how thin civilization is I mean, it's it's easy to say that. I mean, we most of us know that intellectually. But I am coming more and more to the conclusion of civilization is something that is extremely... It's balanced very precariously on a knife edge. The things that we're, we're kind of... We're burning through our social capital at this point. Like, we, we are, we're the... I hate to say it, but we are the, the weak generation... We this this is the generation the weak people that make bad times, and we are in the bad. We're starting to see the bad times, and it'll be another generation after us that has to set things right again. But I have the more I'm more and more convinced now that we are looking. You know, we have taken so many things for granted. <coughs> There's a book, Ernst Becker, The Denial of Death. And there's a quote in here that I think is very relevant. The fact is that this is what society is and always has been. A symbolic action system. A structure of statuses and roles, customs and rules for behavior. Designed to serve as a vehicle for earthly heroism. Each script is somewhat unique. Each culture has a different hero system. Well... The mistake Kyle made was not going down to Kenosha. 
the fundamental mistake Kyle made was he took us at our word. As a society, he, you know, did what he thought a hero in Western society should do. Um, that's basically what, you know, we had led him to believe. You know, look at what's going on. Like, this is the stuff, like, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, um, when he talked about, you know, burning in the camps later. Um, why didn't we get together and attack these agents of the state? Why didn't we fight back? Everyone just huddled and hid, and no one did anything. And that's the hardest thing. And this is part of one of the byproducts of being isolated, being separated and atomized, is we don't, we have lost a sense of our agency. We view ourselves as bystanders in history. We're not. We are people with agency. We are people who can make a difference. We can make a change in our personal lives and in our community. And that's the important thing is like people throughout history have always viewed themselves as like history is not something that happens to other people. History is something that happens to us as well. I I guess I have an advantage because I have this weird habit of like, you know, I have this weird talent of always winding up in the middle of historical events um, or disproportionately so. Um, and that's where we stand now, I think, is people are thinking like, oh, history is sort of, there's this sense that history is happening to someone else and it's happening to us now. And, you know, we're going to have to... Um, get involved more um, people are doing stuff I'm hearing great feedback from folks people are organizing and it's going to take a while the biggest thing is you know not just the organizing and networking but keeping faith um, you can't get black pilled and this is another thing that I hate seeing on the right is people have a tendency to get negative and black pilled um, that is a being black pilled is a sin. I mean, the reality is, um, we're going to deal with strife our entire life. This is not something like in a film where we complete the objective and then the film's over and then we win and go back to our life. This is the thing I saw happen after Trump got elected. People were like, "Oh, cool, Trump's elected. Let's go back to our daily lives." It doesn't happen like that. I keep I keep telling folks <clears throat> the changes and decisions that we make today. Our grandchildren will be dealing with down the road the ramifications of that. And all the problems that we're dealing with today are things that our ancestors did two or three generations ago. We're dealing, you know, society and civilization is a thing that is, you know, always happening. And we, we just drop into the flow for our lifetime and we, we help change things and make differences. And then one day, hopefully... You know, when you're old and in your bed and surrounded by your family and children, you'll pass on out of the stream and then someone else, the next generation, has to add to this. But, you know, it's, um, civilization and life is like a relay, it's like a relay race. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing, that you have to accept that, um, these are things that we ha we all have to contribute to, and... We have to build this community. 
we have to continue building back the frayed fat the frayed fabric of the social capital that we had um and that's actually one of the things that's what's so nefarious about facebook is um zuckerberg wrote a fairly long piece in 2017 talking about his vision for facebook and and um we see this with meta now with the vr stuff he's trying to replace that fabric that i mentioned the lost social capital all these social and institutional institutions that we had you know these civic institutions he's trying to replace that with facebook which means some sociopathic weird lizard person asshole you know is going to own all our private communications and privatize um it'll be a corporate owned um basically a, a company town instead of all the organic civic institutions that we need um anyway so i'm going to wrap that up on that this is the thing pray for kyle um i know that i personally am even more um like i have the opposite reaction to this situation like if if my neighborhood catches on fire now like, I'm even more likely now, after watching what's happened to Kyle, to grab plates and a rifle and throw that stuff on and go outside and try to make a difference. Because if I don't, you know, someone else will. It'll be some 17-year-old kid that's got a lot to lose. A lot more than I do. And, you know, someone who's maybe doesn't have the skill and the training and the background to handle this sort of thing. But yeah, that that's the thing is, um, we failed Kyle, we we failed him as a society and as individuals, and uh, we need to start thinking about what we're going to do to change that going forward. Well, that's it for today. I wanted to do a short one here, kind of touch on some of these things. Thank you for tuning in, and I'll talk to you later. Mm-hmm.